We come to a passage this morning that I think everybody, every one of us, uh, could use. Now this book was written in the first century, written by Jesus' half-brother James. He was a pastor in the city of Jerusalem. He had a lot of oversight of the early church. And he has written a book that not only um, can challenge us, but today we're going to learn that James really wants to comfort us and remind us of some of the truths as we encounter and as we endure burdens and trials and tribulations in our life. Uh, how are we to live faithful lives amidst struggles and suffering that come our way. Now James has been honest over and over again that to be uh, involved in real faith and real life involves us not just saying that we're doing something, but actually living out our walk with Jesus Christ. And he's going to tell us that it's going to get hard when suffering and affliction and burdens come our way. And so I want to read James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack or in the chairs in the back. Uh, You'll find our passage on page 1013. Page 1013. Let's look at what James has to tell us today through the inspiration of God and how we can apply it. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but simply let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. Father God, we once again come to this book and to this letter, and we have been challenged by it. Lord, in many ways it has challenged us to look at our own lives and ask some hard questions. And yet, Lord, it has also comforted us. It has reminded us that you love us. It's reminded us that you um, are uh, doing a work in and through us. It's a reminder, Lord, that even when trials and temptations come, uh, you are with us and you give us the needed um, resources to be able to find victory in whatever comes our way. So thank you, Lord, for challenging and comforting us along this journey. And now, Lord, as we come and are reminded of a truth that I think we all know, the truth of being patient, Lord, I know in my own life, and as I look at the world around me, patience is surely a virtue that has been lost in our society. And what a great opportunity. And what a great um, example we can be as Christians in an impatient world to show the patience that can only come through you. Empower us to that end, Lord, we ask. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, growing up, there were words or phrases that I would put under the auspices of old person words or phrases. 
phrases that only my parents would use. And one of them that I heard quite often because of the kind of child I was, was my parents would say very often, probably more than I wanted them to, I am sick and tired. Okay? It would always come on the heels of me doing something wrong or something dumb. And my mom or my dad, my dad was always more angry about it than my mom. My mom was more kind of out of exasperation. I'm just sick and tired, Tim. I'm sick and... And it was never tired and sick, by the way. It was always sick and tired. I don't know why that's the case, but I guess you're always sick before you're tired. And I would hear those things and I'd be like, man, mom and dad are sick and tired a lot. And I would wonder why, you know, I'm like, maybe they should go to a doctor and try to figure out the sickness and tiredness. And, and then I hit 40 years of age and had three kids of my own. And I'm sick and tired. <laughs> and, and I don't know why, and I'm waiting for a pill to come out that takes care of sick and tired kind of feelings. But isn't it the way of life as we live life, as we encounter life, we start losing our patience. Uh, the daily ebb and flow of life can cause us to lose or have our, our faith and even our patience at times to be eroded. And, and as a result of that, we become impatient. We become angry. James says that we start to grumble. We start to say things. We start to make oaths uh, uh, to God. Well, if, you know, as God is my witness, my mom used to say. Okay? Well, that was because she was sick and tired, and she knew that she wasn't changing me, so maybe God could, right? And, and so we do all of these things out of our impatience. And what, what James wants to teach us this morning is he's writing to a group of people that, quite frankly, i got to imagine, if you were to ask them, they were sick and tired. They had endured a great deal of persecution. We know from James chapter 1, they had endured trials of many kinds. And they were tired, and they were sick, and they would come to church, and they would bring their burdens. But when everybody has a burden, and there's no one person that can carry another person's burdens, it creates friction within the body. It creates tension between people. And so James, this loving pastor, this pastor who is wise beyond his years, says, Listen, I know life is hard. I know you're sick and tired of the things that are going on in your life. I know that your masters and bosses are being rough with you. I know that some of you have been withheld your, your daily wages, and you don't know where to turn, and you don't know what to do. I know that some of you have been a part of beatings and, and all kinds of assault against you. I know some of you thought that coming to Jesus would change your life in a way that it would cause you to not have any more troubles, no more burdens, no more issues. And quite frankly, when you came to know Jesus, your burdens, your struggles, your trials multiplied. And James looks at his church and he says, listen, I have a word for you. Be patient. Now that's a hard word as I prayed in my prayer. That's a hard word for us in an instant world that we live in. Have you ever noticed that when you're on the internet and the, and the web page doesn't open up in that nanosecond that you thought it would? How stinking frustrating. We don't remember the days of the old dial-up connection. Okay? Because we have become accustomed to the Burger King metaphor or motto, your way right away. And if it doesn't happen, then you're angry. Now, I have you, I'll have you challenge us today. Go to the, the Aldi to pick up some things today and step, in the, in the, uh, step into the checkout aisle. And if that takes more than 3.4 seconds for you to get through, if someone has 21 items in a 20-item or less lane, 
all kinds of bitter envy and thoughts come out of your mind, right? I mean, just who is this guy? What is, don't they know how important I am? How quickly I want to run through the checkout line? We are an impatient people. And James says, listen, amidst your suffering, amidst your burdens, I want you to be patient. There's no one amongst us that would deny that life brings about burdens. And sometimes we can grow frustrated by them. At other times, and maybe that's you this morning, you're overwhelmed by them. You can't handle them. You're like, if one more thing gets put on my plate, I'm going to scream. I I just can't take any more of this. What we're going to hear this morning from James, Jesus' half-brother, is truths that I believe that James saw lived out in Jesus' life. That he watched Jesus with incredible patience endure trials, tribulations, temptations, and all kinds of burdens, and did so with his eyes on a hope and a prize that would allow him to endure in a feeling and a sense of blessing what it is to live a life of burdens at times. Remember, Jesus was given the title, the man of sorrows, or the man of burdens. And the Bible says he had great joy in his heart, even as he looked to the cross. So how are we to deal with this? How are we to deal with the burdens of life? I've made a sentence that kind of just, if you will, creates a thesis for the, for the whole gist of our, our passage this morning. And I'm going to break it into three parts, my three points this morning. And the first one is very easy. If we want to live a life of burdens, and yet still understand that we are a blessed people then we need to recognize, first of all, burdens are a common part of life. Burdens are a common part of life. James speaks of burdens in our passage when he speaks of the phrase suffering. The idea here of suffering is not just um, the, the huge issues of suffering, the once-in-a-lifetime type sufferings that many of us have maybe faced already or will face, but these are the little run-of-the-mill things that continue to just pile up. They are the things that that you find yourself uh, in a random week having added to you and elevating your stress and your frustration and your impatience with the different fabrics uh, of your life. Now, this word suffering is the Greek word pathia, okay? Pathia. It's where we get our English word pathetic from, okay? So what is suffering? Suffering is anything that makes you feel pathetic or look pathetic, all right? And so these are the things that come that that really just drive us crazy, that change our countenance. Now, the Bible has told us over and over again what James has. Burdens, trials, tribulations, all of those things are a common part of life. The Bible dedicates an entire book to it, the book of Job, focusing in on one man who had lots of burdens, lots of afflictions, lots of struggles. And we watch the chronicles of of Job's life in the book of Job, and we see how God is working in it, how Job is working amidst these afflictions, how his friends and his wife look at the afflictions and trials. And, And we have it as an example that life is full of trouble. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you're going to have afflictions, you're going to have troubles, you're going to have trials. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we can have hope, Jesus says, amidst the trials and the troubles, because we have Jesus in our lives. And then, of course, James has said 
that we need to consider these, these trials, these afflictions, these burdens with joy. Because they're going to grow us and they're going to uh, build in us character and perseverance. And so James's words of great importance to us. In a world of affliction, in a world of great burdens, how do we find God's blessing? How do we find God's blessing amidst the everyday burdens we face? Well, I want to do uh, a couple questions with you this morning that when burdens come, I want you to ask these questions. And the first question I want you is, as burdens are a part of life, I want you to ask the question, first of all, how much can I handle? How much weight can I handle? Now, one of the things that we need to recognize as people is not all burdens don't come from outside, but come from within. We build our own burdens. We create our own problems. And some of us this last week had a burdened, afflicted kind of week because we did not create a level of margin in our lives. We didn't create enough space in our lives. And so we got frustrated. We got angry. We allowed our, our, our tops to be blown because we took on more weights We put more in our calendar, we took more upon our plate, we took upon more on our shoulders than we ever should have. Now behind me I've got two wheelbarrows. And these two wheelbarrows are an illustration of life. Now the first one is, it's an empty wheelbarrow. It's nice and easy. I can do all kinds of things. I can move it one hand, woo, look at that, almost made it fall over, okay? It's real easy. And some of us had a week like this, right? No problem. I'm going to have fun with this, okay? No problem. Life's good. Hey, guys, good to see you. I've got my life. It's not too bad here. And I have no problem. So I'll set that down. That's not a problem. But what begins to happen is is we make decisions, and we start putting stuff in the wheelbarrow. And we keep moving, and we add, okay, the kids are going to go here. And sure, I can help out with that ministry. And, uh, oh, yeah, we can buy that new car. And uh, you know what? We're going to go ahead and uh, create that argument and fight with someone because we're angry with them. And we just keep adding burdens, right? And some of you this week grabbed burden upon burden, and it didn't come to you because of someone else. It, became, it came because you grabbed, and you took, and you put it upon yourself. Here's the problem. Some of us can only handle this much of a burden. That's all we can handle. That's all that we're able to take care of. So we can take this one burden, and we can carry it, and we can bring it over here. The problem is, is some of us have made a decision. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. God has created all of us to carry different burdens. He's allowed some of us to carry one bag of burden, if you will. He's created others to carry a lot. It doesn't make the one person over here better or worse than the other person. We're just created differently. But the problem is, is many people who can only carry one bag have because they can't say no, because they don't create margin in their life, we create a problem. I hope I can do this. Okay? So we're going to carry all of this. Now, this is a lot heavier. I know you can't tell because I have bulging biceps, but... Okay? But that's a lot heavier than that. And the question is very practical. This doesn't even, per se, come out of the text. This is very pastoral for you. How much weight can you handle? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever looked at your schedule and said, you know what? How much can we take as a family? 
Some of us are dealing with marital strife, family conflict, and all kinds of struggles because quite frankly, we have filled our calendars with a whole bunch of burdens that our family can't take care of. And it creates problems, and it creates issues. And we've got to ask the question. Amanda uh, does some substituting in our local school system. And we have a rule, and it's a hard and fast rule. Amanda can sub three days a week. Because the second she goes to three and a half or four, the house is on fire. Okay? We're in trouble. Things start falling apart. So three's okay. And we had to come to that realization the hard way. We had to come to that realization when the kids are yelling and screaming, I have nothing to wear and I can't go to school naked. We got a problem. Or when little Luke comes in, he looks malnourished because there's no food in the refrigerator. And so we have to, we had to work through that and say, listen, what is our ability? What amount of weight can we carry? Some of us have to ask that with regards to our jobs. Some of us have to ask that with regards to relational issues. As a young man who was looking to, towards the pastorate, I had to ask the question, can I carry not only my load, but am I willing to take on the load of others and carrying others' burdens in the process? One of the things I talk with young pastors about is, are you wanting to live the rest of your life with other people's stuff in your wheelbarrow? Are you willing to handle that? Are you willing to take their burden? Because the pastoral ministry is not you just walking around with your one bag of mulch, but a whole bunch of other people's mulch in the process. We have to ask the question, how much weight can I handle? And when we get there, that doesn't mean, listen, that if you say, I'm a one bag of mulch kind of guy, this is my ability, that God will never give you more. What I'm dealing with is the burdens you put into your life. Now we're going to ask the question, what about the burdens other people bring into your life and the burdens that God may bring into your life for his purposes? Now here's the thing. If you can only carry, let's say, let's, let's think about this. If you can carry two bags and you're at maximum, maximum weight there, now you've got a problem because what happens if someone comes and does something and throws another burden on you? You're going to be overwhelmed. You're not going to be able to lift it. What happens if someone does that and God says, hey, I'm going to allow a trial into your life and you don't have margin. You haven't created room to be able to see God's purposes in it. You're going to become easily frustrated and overwhelmed. We have to stop and ask the question, how much of a load can I bear? The second thing we have to ask is, not only how much can I handle, but which way am I going to respond? So as burdens come into your life, there are four ways, and I want you to write these down, four ways that you can respond to the burdens that come. The first one is flight. You're going to run away from it. So God allows some burdens or people bring burdens into your life, and they're more than you can handle, and some of you just say, I'm out of here. And you run away. And you want nothing to do it because you say, if I run away and get as far away from the wheelbarrow of my life and run over there, then I don't have to worry about these burdens. And some of us are that way. We play our burdens like ostriches do. We stick our head in the sand. We forget about it. The second thing that we can do is that it's not just flight, but it's fright. And some of us look at the wheelbarrow and we, we do this. We stayed. We hung around. And we're like... Huh. There's four bags of mulch in there. 
I can only carry one, maybe two for a little bit. There's no way I can carry this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And we look, and what happens when I lift it if my arms fall off? That would be ugly. And, and what happens if the wheel falls off? And oh no, and if it tips over, then all the mulch is going to be on the ground. And, and I just don't know what to do. And, and <laughs> this is bad. And some of us are looking at our burdens right now, and we won't lift up the burden because we're scared to death. What ifs start playing out? What if I fail? What if I drop it? What if I let people down? What if, what if, what if? That's the, that's the fright. We stay there. But we don't lift the burden. We don't carry the burden because we're too afraid. The one that I fall into, because I'm not a guy who runs away. I'm not a guy who usually sits there and, and frets. What I say is bring it on. We call this fight. Put it on. Yeah. Add another bag to it. Yeah, God, you want to do that? I can handle it. Yeah, we call this the, the John Wayne approach to burdens. Yeah. Don't worry, your guitar won't break. Okay? And I lift it. And whoo! And I love showing people, look at this. I can do deep knee bends while I do it. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I remember Tim Allen from Home Improvement. <laughs> right? And there are some of you that just love this. And, and your people walk by and say, you know you're sweating profusely right now, right? Oh, yeah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yeah, yeah, I got these burdens. Oh, yeah, I counted, counted all joy. It's good, these burdens. And we fight. And I'm going to tell you this morning, those aren't the way that we deal with burdens. They sound good. Some of them look good. Some of them will make us feel real, real good. But the problem is, as James says, fright, flight, and fight are human approaches to a spiritual issue. So what does James say? He wants us to approach our burdens, whatever they are, whatever amount of weight they are, with faith. And so we look at the burdens, and we say, there's a lot there. And I could try to pick them up, because I'm a strong guy. Play along with me, by the way. I'm a strong guy. I've got some muscles. I think I can handle it. But I don't need to handle it. God can. Or maybe, wow, that looks like a lot. And I'm scared to death. And I don't know what to do. I know there's no way I can handle it. Faith says, don't worry. As we sang, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Go ahead and try. And with my strength and my help, you'll be able to do it. Flight tells us to run away. And God says, listen, don't run away from your problems. Run into your problems, not with reckless abandonment and foolishness, but run to your problems knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so by faith, we take our burdens... And we do what the third question is. We answer the question, to whom am I going to turn to? Who am I going to turn to? And so Jesus is the one we need to turn to. So when things get rough, where am I going? Some of you, John Waynes of the, of the church today, will say, I don't need anybody else. I will just do it myself. Or you'll say, I'll run away and I won't worry about it. But the Christian response... 
that we're going to learn here through our text is that we need to turn to Jesus. James is saying, in your suffering, you can be patient because what I've come to learn, James says, is I can rely on my brother Jesus, who's the author and finisher of my faith. And Jesus invites us. Did you know in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I thought about bringing in two oxen and an uh, and a uh, um, a yoke, but uh, Pastor Keith said no live animals unless it's Christmas time. And so the only way I can explain it is this is a hard thing to carry. And what Jesus says is, okay, Tim, you got a heavy load to carry. What I'm asking for you, Tim, is to invite me. I'll take one handle. You take the other. Now, this is important that you recognize this. When Jesus says, bring me your issues, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you, doesn't mean you sit and go, okay, Jesus, it's all yours. I'm going to watch. Some of you do that. And we'll get to that here in a moment because James is going to address that. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, when you have a load that is too big for you to bear, don't get angry, don't run away, don't put on your strong man hat and think you are invincible. Take one side, use both hands and lift up, and the Prince of Peace, the God of the universe, will grab the other side. And we're going to lift this thing together. The yoke was... When one ox could not carry a load, they would take this yoke, this device that would pair two oxen together to carry a similar load. And Jesus says, I want to be yoked together with you. I want to carry your burdens. I want to carry your struggles because you don't have to carry them on your own. So, how much weight can you handle? Which way are you going to respond? And to whom are you going to turn? When burdens come and your wheelbarrow in life gets filled up, those are the questions you have to ask. So, now we know that Jesus and James and the rest of the scriptures say burdens are a common part of life. Therefore, point number two, therefore, we must cultivate patience. Notice in the phrase, anytime this is important, this is simple Bible um, exploration. You, what does your pastor do when he studies the scripture? He looks for multiple uses of the same word. Could there be a theme here? James says four times the word patience. You think he wants us to know something about patience in the text? You betcha. He's told us four times. At the beginning of the passage, be patient. At the end of, or beginning of verse 8, you also be patient. Verse 10, you have seen the example of suffering and patience. And so we see this patience go on again and again and again, like the farmer who is being patient. Four different times this issue of patience comes up. Now, this right away begs some questions to be answered. First of all, If we need to be patient, and he's writing to a a group of believers, a couple truths need to be understood. Number one, that being a Christian doesn't exempt you from problems. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and you won't have any more problems. That's not going to happen. He's already told us, in this world, disciples, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. 
We as a church have seen this. I believe we're a healthy, Bible-believing, God-honoring church. But each and every week we gather in this place and what do we do during our prayer time? We pray for people's burdens. Dozens upon dozens upon dozens of small groups meet throughout the Fox Valley area almost every day of our week. And I can assure you, as I have visited many different groups, that the groups are no different than the group that meets in my home on Tuesday, that every week we get together, people have burdens. Life is beating them up. They've got concerns. They've got issues. And so we have been reminded, not only by Jesus' words, but our own experience that as Christians striving to live for God, wanting to serve God and honor God with our lives, we are not exempt from trials. And James has told us of various kinds. So in our church this week, I can assure you, we've seen emotional burdens, occupational burdens, spiritual burdens, physical burdens, financial burdens, tempting burdens. All of us, at some point or another, have burdens as Christ followers. Number two, burdens will not end in this world. So James says, listen, be patient till when? He doesn't say, okay, Christians, be patient for a year because in a year our burdens will be taken care of. Or he doesn't say, hey, be patient and after you get your 10-year Christian pin of, of loyalty to Jesus, then your life of burdens will be done. No, he says, listen, you need to be patient until the coming of the Lord. And that reminds us that in this life, the entirety of this life will be filled with burdens. You're not going to get away from it. This life is going to be full of burdens. That is a certainty. Burdens and taxes, right? You're going to have them. You're going to pay them. They're a part of of life. It's going to be a part of your entire flight. So listen, what Jesus and James are saying is like you're getting on an airplane and you're ready to fly and, and Jesus and James are the flight attendants and say, listen, Uh, Buckle your seatbelt because this entire flight from start to finish will have turbulence throughout. You're going to be bouncing and you're going to be, we're not even serving drinks on this flight because we're going to be buckled in ourselves. And so be ready for the trials and tribulations they're going to come. Number three, being a Christian may mean not the exemption of trials and troubles, but maybe the enhancement of trials and troubles in your lives. Some of these people in James' day had left paganism, had left living life the way that the world was living it, and now had devoted themselves to the calling of Jesus Christ in their life. They started to live countercultural to the culture of their day. And that brought forth persecution. And, and while we live in, in a world, in a, in a country, where very little persecution, if any, is really taking place, Seemingly, the ebb and flow of human society as we see throughout the world is that at some point our Christianity will be a problem. And quite frankly, being a Christian may add to your burdens through persecution and not subtract from them. James says we need to be able to therefore then cultivate patience. Now let's examine this concept. What is this concept of patience? What does he mean when he says be patient? For Christians to be patient would stand in total opposition of the Greco-Roman world that James was writing in. You see, the Greco-Roman world had a high view of self. 
And so if you are prideful or arrogant or you think in some ways you're God, remember back when we talked about worldly wisdom, worldly wisdom says there's a God and you're Him. If you think you're God, then why should you have to wait? Why is it not in every circumstance of life, whether on the express lane or the express aisle in the supermarket, does not the world open up like the Red Sea did for Moses? Why do you have to wait on people? Why do you have to wait on tests? Why do you have to wait on answers? Why do you have to wait on any of the myriad of things that we wait for? If I'm God, I should have it right now, without question. You see, the Greeks' virtue was that you are so great that you should refuse to tolerate any insult or injury from anyone or anything that would cause you to have to be inconvenienced in any way. But James says, out of humility, humility says, hey, I'm not as big as I think I am. And I may have to wait. I may have to wait on God. I may have to lower myself and, and wait on others. I may have to say goodbye to dreams and ideas because maybe not in this decade will they take place and so I'm just going to have to be patient. Patience is first of all built out of a heart of humility that says I'm not number one. I'm not demanding that things need to be done my way right away. It says, listen, I recognize I'm a small part in a huge universe and that I may have to wait for a while. This, this word that James uses is the Greek word makothumia, macrothumia. It literally means to have macro, long or big, long, thumia, if you think about it, uh, thumia is heat, okay? It's where we get the phrase thermal from. And so macro heat, a long fuse, what it means is uh, you have a long wick on your bomb. Before you explode, there's a long period of time. You don't light it like a little firecracker and within ten, three-tenths of a second you've got to throw it in the air or you blow your hand off. It's got a long wick, a macrothumia. It is a long time before you explode. And what James is telling us is, is in a world of struggle, in a world of strife, in a world of burdens, the Christian needs to have a long fuse. Now he's already told us this in James chapter 1. He, didn't, he said, listen... Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Be patient. Don't lose your cool. Don't blow up too quickly. Why? Because in James 1 he says, listen, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now you would think we would know this. I can assure you that in my points of anger, I'm never happy with the outcome. It never works out. I feel better, right? I feel a lot better. But I always have to go back and talk with that individual and apologize for the things I say. I'm usually far more abrupt than I want to be. I usually say things I would never say if I really thought about it. And so what James is saying is be patient. Extend the, the wick of your life so that it doesn't explode. Now... As we look at this, James gives us some examples. He gives us some examples. And the examples he gives is Job and the prophets. Notice in the text, he says, okay, listen. 
As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and mercy. And so what we need to recognize is, is God has given us two examples that we can follow. Not examples, and this is where James is really kind. James doesn't employ his brother into this and say, all right, let's look at our example, the perfect son of God who was sinless. He didn't lose his cool. He didn't, he didn't fly off the handle. I'm glad he didn't because I'd be like, well, you know what? He's Jesus and I'm not. Let's just take care of that. And there's no way I'm going to be, so I'm just going to ask for forgiveness. No, he says, okay, I'll give you some examples. I'll give you Job. He was a normal man like us. And the prophets, a whole group of people who were serving and honoring God who had it tough. And they didn't lose heart. They didn't give up. They didn't get angry. They didn't uh, start to lash out at people. They took a deep breath. They didn't lose their cool because they knew God was going to use the trials and tribulations and burdens to build character and perseverance. So let's look at some of these examples. We know the example of Job. I don't have time to go through the life of Job. But right off of the beginning, we learn a couple things about Job. Job, number one, is a man blameless before God. Doesn't mean he's perfect, but he's a holy guy. He's honoring God. He's serving God. This guy is so loving and kind, he prays and confesses for the sins of his children. How many of us have ever done that? He gets done praying and, and asking for forgiveness for his own sins. And then he moves on and he says, Hey, I know I've got sinners as children. And Lord, I'm going to confess their sins to you as well. I'm concerned about the spiritual well-being of my kids. And what does he gain out of that? He gets boils. He gets sick. He loses all his riches. His kids are all together in a, in a family party. And the house caves in on top of them. He loses everything. Just him and his wife. Everything else that he had is gone. And in that struggle, in the book of Job, you will see the ongoing conflict in Job's heart. What do I do amidst burdens and afflictions and trials? And his wife says, curse God and die. Get angry at God. And some of us are getting angry at God this morning. God, why did you allow this? God, why could you, how could you say you love me and allow these things to transpire in my life? This makes no sense. This burden you've caused me to carry makes no human sense possible. And so I'm angry with you. The prophets could say the same thing. The prophets serving God, honoring God, doing what they're supposed to. And what would they get? They would preach what God would tell them. They would preach what God had placed in their mouth. And i got to imagine when they said this, said, then this is from God. People should be happy. And they preach it, and the prophets expect, hey, amen, yay, Jeremiah, he's our man. No, what did they do? Grab that guy, let's beat him up. And poor Jeremiah writes a whole book called Lamentations. You think he had burdens? He lamented. And story upon story upon story of the prophets tells us that though they honored God and served God, they took a beating for it. Turn a couple pages back just for a moment from James. The book before James is the book of Hebrews. So just a couple pages back to Hebrews chapter 11 to put it in perspective. So you're probably going to, in my Bible, I've got to turn back probably three pages to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, um, Samson, Jephthah, uh, David, and Samuel. And then he says, and the prophets 
I wish I had time to tell you about the prophets. Well, what did the prophets do? Well, we see that he starts working through things. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms. Well, that's Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection. They did great things, these prophets. Amazing things. Things that you would think would make them receive the key to the city for all the good they've done. But notice what would happen. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep of sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They were filled with burdens. And yet, they served God. And what we see in these examples is, is yes, in the Christian life, your life will be filled with all kinds of burdens. But that those burdens don't exempt you to a couple things. Number one, it doesn't exempt you to then therefore live sinfully. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people in, in gatherings where because someone has hurt me, I have the right now to hurt them. Well, if you only knew how bad they hurt me, then you would know how angry and how frustrated and why I'm taking a pound of flesh on them because you would do the same thing. And that's probably true. But the problem is, is it's not the Tim's standard we're living by. It's Jesus' standard. And Jesus says, hey, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who seek to attack you or kill you. Keep burning coals on their heads with love. Kill them with kindness. Because God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. It doesn't allow you to do sinful actions towards others. Number two, it doesn't allow you, in these examples show us, to sit and feel sorry for ourselves And to give up fighting, and give up working, and give up serving. We need to continually serve, and we'll see that here in in the example that he gives. So when burdens make you feel like giving up, you can't quit. You've got to remember what the prophets did. You've got to remember what Job did, that there was a purpose for suffering. And that God wants us to be patient so we can see the outcome in the end. This involves exercising this virtue. What's the virtue? Patience. You've got to exercise it. Now James gives a picture. And he says, okay, we've got examples, Job and the prophets. But he says, listen, how can I explain what patience looks like? He says, remember the farmer. Look in the text. Remember the farmer. Let's look at him. Let's look at how he waits. That's another word for patience. Let's look at how patient he is for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. We all need to be farmers. And when he brings up this phrase of being a farmer, we have to understand that what James is not saying is be fatalistic. Some of you right now find yourself amidst burdens, and you're like, listen, I give up. I'll go along for the ride, but God hates me, 
and God wants to beat me up or people want to beat me up and knock me down and so I give up. And so we sit down and we say, I'm just going to endure this thing. And you do what I do on amusement park rides. I get on them. I don't want to be there. I feel like I'm going to throw up. And so I sit there, and because everybody wants to see a big bald guy look as sick as can be, totally uncomfortable, I get on the stupid ride, and I hate it. And I just endure it, the ups and downs, left and to the right, and and okay? And then they have the audacity to say, wasn't that great? And, uh-huh. Yeah, that was great. I'm glad I paid a hundred bucks to come here and do that a whole bunch of times. And some of you are looking at life that way. You're buckling in and you're saying, I'm just going to grin and bear it. This is all that God has for me. And so I'm just going to go through life because I know I can't quit. So I'm just going to do it. But that's not what the the patient farmer does. A couple observations about the patient farmer, and I'll, I'll move on quickly with regards to this. The patient farmer works hard with the things that are under their control. They plant, they weed, they fertilize. A farmer doesn't sit on his hands and expects a crop in the fall. Farmers have to depend on things that are entirely out of their control. He talks about rain. A farmer can't make it rain. A farmer can't make sure that the sun's going to come out. A farmer can't hold back the winds. There are things that are outside of the farmer's control. And so he has to endure. He has to wait. The farmer's patient doesn't come... Uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't come from doing nothing, but it comes from knowing his limitations. He understands what he can do, and he understands what God can do. And he separates those things. And he doesn't get frustrated. This is very important. He doesn't get frustrated about the things that only God can do. He just waits. Some of us are frustrated with other people because we think we can change them, but we can't. Only God can. And so duck so God can hit them. Get out of God's way. You're encumbering God's ability to change them because you think you're in control of that. You're not. Let go of that burden. Give it to God so he can make the needed changes that take place. Notice it goes on. And he says that this farmer, when it rains, or after doing all that he can, recognizes and knows that there be, may be no visible, visible indication that anything's taking place. So in about a month from now, the farmer's going to have planted his crop, he's going to have tilled the soil, he's going to have done everything to be able to plant that crop, and then he's going to wake up the next morning, and what's going to happen? There's going to be a full harvest, right? No. Day upon day upon day, he's going to have to wonder, did it take root? Is it going to start to grow? And then sometime, usually what? Around Memorial Day, what do we see start sprouting up in about a month's time? Some green. A confirmation that something's growing. But then he doesn't know what kind of harvest he's going to have, so he has to wait till harvest time. And he has to wait and see and wait for the, uh, the different uh, um, attributes of a growing harvest to take root. Patience is the virtue we have to live by as the farmer shows us. Another observation, a farmer can have a bumper crop one day and still that next spring he has to grow another crop. And some of us right now, 
We think life is good and therefore it will, we, don't, we can sit back on our laurels and say, well, I've had a good life up to this point. And patience says, listen, just because it was good behind me doesn't mean it's going to be good in front of me. So I've got to keep working and serving and resting in God because I have no idea the drought or the trouble that may be coming my way. The final thing that we need to recognize is no farmer who is alive plants a crop and thinks, I did this. And a lot of us carry burdens, especially you fight guys like me. We carry burdens and we love the badge of honor that says, I carried that wheelbarrow full of mulch this many miles. Look at me. Look how strong I am. The farmer says, I could have never done this without God because I can't turn on the sun, I can't turn down the wind, and I can't turn on or turn off the rain. So God, you're the one who did this. I had a small part in it, and you allowed me to have this small part, but really it is you who made this possible. So how do you do it? This patience that the farmer has... James uses the phrase endurance or steadfastness. Hupomene is the word there. The ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. It is not a passive sitting, but bearing things for a triumphant future that is to come. So it recognizes life is hard right now. I'm going to get out. I may not see any progress. I may not see any good out of what I'm dealing with right now. But based on what I've been promised, based on what God has told me will take place, I'm going to trust. I'm going to hope. I'm going to rely on that. And so until that happens, I'm going to work every day of my life to move closer towards that result. Now where does James go from here? The farmer looks to the harvest. Is that what we're looking for? No, notice what James says. He says we are to cultivate patience. Why? We're to cultivate patience and continually practice it until Jesus comes. What James does is he says, listen, in verse 8, he says, establish your hearts. Why? Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And because Jesus is coming, he has promised that he's going to come after preparing a place for us and receive us so that we might be with him forever. Where there's no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. He's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. Everything is going to be different. And so until we get there, we are to work, we are to strive, we are to rest in God and His ability to help us carry along and move along with burdens in our lives because Jesus is coming. He's coming. Now notice a couple things. First of all, it says He is coming. Notice He says, until the coming of the Lord. Okay, well how long is that going to be? Seems like it's taking a long time. So verse 7, they're like, okay, wait a minute. It had been 15 years when James wrote this letter. 15 years since Jesus said he was coming back. That's been a long time, right? They had no idea. They had no idea that we'd be standing here 2,000 years later and be like, where are you at? And that's why Peter reminds us that don't think that you're on the Lord's time frame because a day for you is like a 1,000 years for the Lord. And a 1,000 years for us is like a day. He's on a different timetable. And so when James says notice in the phrase, he's at hand. He says the judge is at the door. He's ready to come on in. There's an imminence to what is taking place. I want you to know more than 300 times in the New Testament, Jesus or the disciples talk about his second coming. That's one out of every 13 verses. 
He's standing at the door. He's ready to give way. Now, why is he taking so long? Some of you are like, why is Jesus taking so long? Doesn't he know the burdens I'm carrying? Doesn't he? Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 11, it says, because God is being patient with us. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish but come to a saving knowledge of the truth. So God is saying, and this is awesome, God is saying, child of mine, I want you to be patient because I'm patient. I'm asking you to do what I'm asking of myself. I'm being patient, and and think about this. Think about how offended God is right now. Of all the junk that we do, all of the junk that the world does, we shake our fists at God, we take credit for things that only God should. God surely has got a long wick. His macrothumia. Man, it, it is incredible. And he waits. And he says, but one day, I'm coming and I'm at hand already. Well, what will happen in that day? Why are we to be patient? Two things and I'll close this out. First of all, on that day, this is very important, God will right all wrongs. God will right all wrongs. I usually don't read from my notes, but I was very specific in what I wanted to say. And so beg my uh, dismissal from eye contact so I can read this to you. Because I have some pastoral, important pastoral words for you. Some of you in this world have suffered some amazing and horrific traumas in your life. You've had parents who have been emotionally, physically, maybe even sexually abusive. Some of you are perhaps currently suffering in an abusive marriage. You live daily under the barrage of verbal and emotional and maybe even the threat of physical harm or actual physical abuse. Perhaps your mate has been unfaithful and you've struggled with the bitterness of being betrayed. Some of you have been victims of fraud or theft. Others of you maybe have been victims of violent crimes such as rape, assault. Perhaps a loved one has been murdered. What James reminds us when he says the judge is at hand and at the door is a reminder, Village Bible Church, That God has seen what you've gone through. He has seen and shared and participated in every tear that you have shed. He knows your disappointment. He knows your heartache. And he knows that this is not the end. So don't grow sour. Don't grow bitter. Recognize and know that a great evil has been done to you. Don't diminish it. Don't push it away. But recognize... That God is the God for those who have been served with injustice. So God says, let me deal with the injustice. Let me deal with the abuse. Let me deal with the punishment. Let me deal with the revenge. You stay on the high road and be patient. God knows what they took. And if you let God settle your case, God is going to make the enemy pay. And he'll bring it about better than you could ever do on your own. Because God is still on his throne. He is in complete control. God is the God of justice. God always makes the enemy pay. And it may not happen overnight. It may not even happen in this world. But yes, one day in the future. A day of only God's choosing. And he knows exactly when that is. He will take care of what has been owed to you. 
He is the God of justice who is going to show himself strong. Not only in the life of your enemy on the day of judgment, but he wants to show himself strong in your life. You're not just going to get out of this by the skin of your teeth. God promises that if you rely on him and trust in him, no matter what you've experienced, you have the hope that you can come out better than you ever would have before. God will right the wrongs. I don't have an answer for it. I don't know how he'll do it. But on that day when we stand before the great judge, every wrong will be addressed. And God will do it perfectly. So give it to him. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't uh, fight against people. Don't try to get your pound of flesh. Is there justice we can get in this world? Yes, and I don't have time to get into that. But yes, there are, there are means that we can address some of the injustices that take place. But I'm talking about the personal, vengeful things that we like to do when trouble comes our way. But here's the final thing I want you to see, and I've got to close. It will be worth all the wait. On that day that Jesus comes, notice it says that the farmer waits for the precious fruit. The valuable fruit, the glorious fruit are synonyms to that. And so we're waiting for something awesome. Jonathan Edwards, the great reformed preacher, put it this way. Our bad things turn out for good. Our good things that could never be lost. And the best things are yet to come. The Bible is clear that we've not seen anything yet. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for his people. One day, God is going to come and right every wrong, and we're going to be blown away by the good that God brings to our lives. A couple years ago, very quick illustration, we took two of our youngest boys while Noah was on fall retreat to an NIU football game. At the end of the game, my boy said, this was a great day, this was awesome, I wish life could be like this every day. It's little kids, a NIU Husky game really means a lot. And so they were really excited. And little did they know that that evening had already been planned that we were going to go and pick out our new puppy. And I said to my boys, listen, if you think this was great, you ain't seen nothing yet. And when they walked into that place, which you should never do, don't ever take your kids to pick out a puppy, it's a nightmare, right? (laughs) But when we got in there, one of my boys, and I can't remember who said it, but said, I never want this to end. I never want this to end. Listen, I know life is hard, and I know some of you are dealing with horrific things, but listen, stay true to God, be patient, don't lose your cool, rely and rest on God, and when you stand in His presence, you will say, I don't ever want this day to end. And here's the great truth, it never will.